This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. And I'm John Sextro. We're back here again with Dalio's Principles. And this episode, we're going to be going into Principle 1.5, which is, as in the book written, Evolving is life's greatest accomplishment and its greatest reward. Reminds me, Micah, of a line from the the, uh, the title song to the TV show Love Boat, where they say, love life's sweetest reward. That was before my time, John. Damn. <laughs> you young people. I'm, I'm certain many people might recall Love Boat and that statement. I thought about it when I, when I read this. Anyway, I digress greatly. We're going to be talking about this principle, not the Love Boat, thankfully for everyone listening. Um, this is a, a pretty important statement, I think, to put something out there as the greatest anything. And in this case, it's the greatest of two things, accomplishments, and its greatest reward. I just wanted to start a little bit by talking about, Micah, how I sort of have viewed this from a, a practitioner's perspective, how I've been trying to use this principle in my life and my work. Um, it sort of is, I think, a little bit similar to principle 1.4, which we talked about in the last episode, learning from learning from nature. and. I think the thing that is most difficult if for me, the thing that was most difficult for me in, in assessing this principle and adapting it to my life is the fact that I have to, I have to uh, accept two facts. One is that I'm extremely important to me, and two, I'm not at all important to the universe. And and once I was able to sort of okay deconflict what those two things meant in my mind, that yeah you know everything that I do is incredibly important to me and maybe to a few people around me, but that ultimately I am a grain of sand in the hourglass of of life, um, and my grain my grain barely amounts to anything throughout throughout history throughout time. I thought about this in relation to something else that Dalio says in this chapter where he talks about we should make decisions that are that are both good for us but that our decisions could also be good for the larger population of people and i thought about that in regard to people like Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein or, or people that have come before us and done something that they probably started off thinking about as being very important to them, solving things like electricity, relativity, the light bulb, you know, maybe even extend it to current day people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates, those sorts of people. I, would, I won't say Facebook because I don't think that's a, a great innovation, but those things were important to someone. And they also had a, an impact in 
in terms of evolving our society. All of those, those things that I mentioned, electricity, relativity, Microsoft, um, Elon Musk, and the things that he's done, those things have contributed both to the personal success of the individuals, but then overall to the greater success. So that's sort of how I've, how I've uh, justified or, or worked this out in my mind. But why don't we go back to a little bit, Micah, about this just being the greatest accomplishment. Um, I'm certain you have some, some things to say about that. Of course I do, John. Mainly questions, right? That's, that's what I'm good at. Questions. Don't ask me for answers. I won't give you those. I give all the answers. You <laughs> ask the questions. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, you know, Ray says that Ray, evolving is life's greatest accomplishment. And so then I kind of had to step back and think about, well, okay, well, what other kinds of accomplishments are there, right? He's obviously making a, you might say, relative claim in the sense of, all right, there's various kinds of accomplishments that you could have in life. And of those, evolving is the greatest one. So, you know, one of the questions for me was, does evolving here refer to, you know, an individual's evolving, right? That particular person becoming better uh, at various things, or does evolving in this case actually refer to, you know, the world as a whole evolving. Um, it seems like some of the things he says could go either way, perhaps. Um, certainly he does talk about things at an individual level because he says, you know, instinctually we want to get better at things. So, you know, it's just a question of, you know, life's greatest accomplishment. Is it the evolving just of myself that's the greatest accomplishment? Or I, I, I suspicion that maybe really what he would say is, you know, contributing to evolution, as he's talked about before, contributing to evolution as a whole would be life's greatest accomplishment. And now, of course, he thinks, right, the more you evolve yourself, the more you can contribute to the evolution of the world as a whole. That's why, that's why I wanted to sort of preface your statements here, Micah, with the, the comments I made about Einstein and um, and Thomas Edison, because those were people who were trying to evolve. Um, maybe Einstein was trying to evolve immediately from like a perspective of, I want to evolve everyone. But I feel like, I feel like um, with, with people that are trying to discover something, they're trying to create something great initially, they're doing it on a local scale, like for themselves or for the company that they're working for. What's great is when the impact that they're able to have happens happens at a larger, grander scale where it can affect you know thousands of people, millions of people, billions of people, and that would be certainly one of the greatest rewards for that to occur and so I think it's both things starting with it affecting and affecting how you evolve individually, but then fanning out to be you know, wow, super greatest thing if it affects, positively affects everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, and certainly I think about you know, a lot of the, you know, obviously tech, technology um, startups or technology companies that, you know, start out with some product. Presumably in most cases, I would assume people who started out on that venture probably had a lot of self-interest in mind about, right. hey, if this thing kicks off, if it goes, if it goes really well, you know, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to make a lot of money, you know, get a lot of fame or whatever else you yeah, know, might yeah. want. Um, but then, you know, of course the way you get something successful is right. You get something that a lot of people are interested in or will be interested in once you've created the product. Um, 
And so it's going to be something that does have a, an impact on a social level. So, you know, the other question for me, um, in addition to what he specifically means by evolving in this case is, um, when he talks about accomplishments, when he talks about evolving being the greatest accomplishment, there's this question of, well, what other accomplishments are there, right? What is he saying that evolving is better than, um, cause that, right. That's a relative claim. It's the greatest. So there have to be other kinds of accomplishments. So I was thinking, well, what are some other accomplishments that people talk about? Um, certainly there's career accomplishments and there are, you know, sports accomplishments. That's a big thing in our society. There are societal improvements that maybe you could be after, right? So it might be like the political, what Aristotle would call the political life where you're out to improve society. Um, or right for some people, they talk about, you know, raising a family is their greatest accomplishment. Um, and so I guess partly my question is what is it about evolving that makes, what makes that the greatest, greatest accomplishment that one can have? Hmm. Uh, Maybe, maybe some of those things are also related to evolving. For example, uh, starting a family is sort of contributing to evolution just from that, just from that passing on of your DNA perspective. Uh, would you, would you agree or disagree that that's part of it? Yeah, so certainly, yeah, raising a family can contribute to evolution um, for sure. Um, and I, I still have my concerns about just the whole evolution thing, not in the sense of, like, does evolution occur, but in the sense of, you know, my question is, well, where is it headed? Evolution towards what? And so yeah, that's still nebulous. So it, it's hard for me to, you might say, get on that train. Sure. Um, and, jo- and becoming um, political or working in the, in the political space affecting a society in that way. If you, if you do it because you want to change things, that's sort of, or you're, and you're working towards change, which I think most politicians would think that they're doing. They're working towards some sort of better change. Sounds like, sounds like an evolution, an evolutionary idea to me, an evolutionary accomplishment is to impact the impact a society, change a society, change a community, et cetera. Yeah, I guess maybe what I should say here, I guess the way in which I can agree with Dalio here is, you know, he certainly talks about evolution as towards the better. And, you know, my concern, I guess, is that we haven't really defined the better. But I will say, insofar as evolution is concerned with the better, whatever that turns out to be, I can accept the idea that that's a good thing. Um, I don't know that I quite want to say that it's the greatest accomplishment. Yeah, it's a high bar. Yeah, uh, authors and and philosophers, I think, like to like to be set the bar high. There, you know, they want to be they want to put something out there that that ask, makes you ask that question: Is it really the greatest? Yes. One of the things that's been happening in society in terms of evolution, Micah, is advances in technology. You know, we we all walk around with these basically what what years ago would now be, would have been considered supercomputers. We're walking around with them in our pocket with an unprecedented level of connectivity. Uh, and I, and I know that that both is, is evolutionary, but it also scares people sometimes because they feel like we're starting to cross over into a, into an era where we are, it's, it's hard to differentiate us from like the collective <laughs> in <laughs> terms of how, how we're all connected together. And, uh, 
some people talk about transhumanism. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So one thing is, you know, transhumanism, that might be a new word for some people, but uh, transhumanism, transhumanism is this idea of, you might say supplementing human nature with uh, biomedical technology uh, that will improve humans to where they have skills beyond, you might say the normal capacity or normal uh, abilities. So um, earlier, John, you had mentioned in a conversation previously uh, about the $6 man. Not $6. $6. Oh. $6 million man. <laughs> well, at the time, wasn't it $6? And now it's... <laughs> With inflation? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, um, I know of that show, but I didn't ever watch it. I don't think. Yeah. Once again, a reference to my childhood. Yes. Um, well before you. Not that much. <laughs> but uh, so uh, just different things, right? You can think about um, people having kind of bionic arms, right? That give them more strength than they would normally have. Maybe better dexterity, more precision. Uh, so you could think of, you know, surgeons might want to engage in transhumanism, you might say, um, and have some bionic arms that give them this ability to be very precise with their surgeries um, so that they can perform an even better job than they would otherwise be able to do. Um, certainly there's, you might say, an element of transhumanism in the Tour de France, right? The cyclists, some of them have been busted because they've been putting, I think it's oxygen infused blood into their bodies. Oh, wow. Right? So I didn't they, know that. Yeah. So they can perform better than they would otherwise be able to do. Right. So it increases their stamina. Uh, we can envision people putting certain kinds of contacts like embedded into their eyes so they can see better or maybe, right, you can see in the dark, that kind of thing. Would you also include like medicines, drugs, supplements, you know, things that would be perf considered performance enhancing? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there's definitely a, uh, maybe disagreement or it's not clear. It's not clearly defined what exactly counts as an instance of transhumanism, but typically it's this idea of, you know, if you're doing something to your body to make it go above and beyond. Um, and I think it also has to be, you know, not something external to you, like a pair of glasses that wouldn't count as transhumanism. Um, but that's an interesting case just because, you know, in the past, some people were opposed to glasses because it wasn't quote unquote natural. Um, but you know, when you're taking drugs that make your body stronger than it could otherwise be under, you might say normal circumstances, it might count as transhumanism. Do you think we have transhumanism today with, with the limb replacements that we're capable of hands, arms, legs, right? I mean, there's a lot of um, hearts. You can replace a heart. You can, um, is that, are those things bringing us into an era of transhumanism? So my understanding of this is that it counts as transhumanism if it's helping the person go above and beyond what normal functioning of a human body has. Um, Right. So if someone has lost an arm in an accident and they get some kind of robotic arm attached, right? Cause I might understand is now they can even attach nerves. And so you can, you know, attach the arm, the uh, robotic arm to the person's 
you know, the, the robotic hand and arm, like, you know, let's say at the elbow, just like Luke Skywalker. Right. Exactly. And, um, in that case, as long as the functioning was similar to typical, normal functioning, that wouldn't count as transhumanism, right? It would be if they add additional powers to it, that would count as transhumanism. Okay. So when, when, uh, our phones, I, I, I said that we're all carrying around these phones, you know, it's getting awfully close to where it's just like you're jacked into it. You can talk to it, right? It, it listens to what you're saying, uh, in a lot of cases and we'll, we'll respond to that. Are it seems like we're getting closer and closer to an evolutionary moment where those phones, those computers that we're carrying around are be just become a, a part of us. Right. Cause you know, you can imagine some people uh, who say, look, why do I want to have to have a phone in my pocket that when it rings, I have to reach into my pocket, pull it out, you know, and then press a button to answer the call. Why not just stick the thing in my head? Right. And then when a call comes in somehow or other, I know, whether I want to make the call, accept the call, and then I can just start talking. Um, so we can certainly understand why it would go there. Now, I don't know that we've really talked about, explained why we're talking about this uh, transhumanism bit. Um, obviously, we've talked about evolution, but you know, one of the things Ray was talking about is how you know, we're going to be able to supplement our thinking with better, you might say, computer programs. And certainly, he's already talked about that some. But he's talked about how we can go, you know, above and beyond what we're already doing. Now he doesn't specifically mention transhumanism, and I think it's a question for all that he said. He hasn't talked about embedding the computer programs into your brain, but given that, right? So what he does say is, um, I personally believe there's a good chance man will begin to evolve at an accelerating pace with the help of man-made technologies that can analyze vast amounts of data and quote unquote, think faster and better than we can. I wonder how many centuries it will take for us to evolve into a higher level species that will be much more, that will be much closer to omniscience than we are now. Uh, And then he adds the ominous, if we don't destroy ourselves first. (laughs) (laughs) Always a danger. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But given that he's talking about evolving, right? If he's not talking about that stuff being, you might say embedded in us, would that count as evolving? If the quick thinking, the computers, if that's outside of us, I don't know how that counts as us evolving. Um, Unless maybe he was wanting to talk about evolving at a societal level that, hey, we're now using these algorithms, these programs in a way that helps us as a society make decisions better, quicker, faster, and so on. So maybe that's where he's going. Um, but if that's not where he's going, then it seems like we'd have to be talking about transhumanism, which of course raises questions if we want to go down that path or not. Micah, the, the second half of this, um, this principle that, um, evolution is, uh, is the greatest, is life's greatest accomplishment. But the second half of it is that it's also its greatest reward. So it, it seems like what Dalio is saying here is that by accomplishing great things, the reward that we gain as an individual and as a population of people, humanity, is the evolution that comes from that great thing by creating a great technology, by creating something like electricity. We're essentially uh, benefiting from the greatest reward of evolving the society or evolving our community. 
So I'm thinking about this for myself and I don't, I certainly haven't contributed anything that would be on the scale of electricity where I can, I can see that it's had an impact to our evolution as humanity. So I don't know that I've ever accomplished the greatest reward at that scale, at, at like a humanity scale. But I would have to think that there have been things that I have accomplished on a local level uh, that have evolved, evolved a, a small situation, maybe affecting a, a few people, you know, maybe 10 people. Like when you're at work, if you have an, an idea for a new way to accomplish the work that you're already doing, and maybe you should save everyone in your group like 15 minutes a day or an hour a day from the work that they're doing, that's a, an accomplishment. And it's also evolutionary because now that group can accomplish more in less time than they were before. And I guess from my perspective, yeah, that's a, that does feel good when I think back about those those things and say, well, that was pretty cool. You know, we figured out a way to do things more efficiently and better. Yeah. Um, so is it really life's greatest reward or is it a reward at all from a philosophical perspective? I think it depends. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think one thing to point out here is, you know, he's, he's not saying, you know, evolving gets you the reward of, so you mentioned like feeling good as a result. Yeah. Right. I, the way I'm reading him, I, he's not saying that it's the pleasure itself that is the reward, but it's the evolving itself that's the reward. So when you, John, improve yourself in some way, when you involve, when you evolve to become better at something, one that is some kind of accomplishment, right? Because you've become better at something, but it's also good for you that you're now better and, and not good for you in the sense of, well, now that you're smarter, John, you can, you know, make more money and, you know, live an easier life. That may be true. And that it's not that that's bad, but I mean, he's saying the evolving itself, the becoming a better you is itself a reward. Okay. I, I feel that that's a reward that I've become better. Okay. I don't know that it's the greatest reward. All right. Yeah. I also like money and Things like that. And pleasure. And all right, you know, if you had a choice, which, you know, this is a choice that he offers up to us and he talks about savoring life, which would be the pleasure right, or accomplishing right. great things. You know, he notes there's this tension between the picking of those two. Um, so I did want to point out, you know, this idea that evolving is good for you uh, is similar to a view in philosophy, which I've actually hinted at or yeah, I guess hinted at in a previous episode or two. Uh, there's a view about the good for a person, like what is it for your life to go well? Uh, and this view is called perfectionism. And now there are definitely various versions of perfectionism, but roughly the idea is that to live the best life one can lead is to perfect yourself. Um, now what it means to perfect you, you know, a lot of philosophical debate there. Um, but Aristotle is a lot of times considered a perfectionist in this sense, not a perfectionist in our standard everyday sense of, you know, they don't like to make mistakes kind of thing, but, um, someone who thinks that what it is for your life to go well is for you to, you might say, perfect your nature. Uh, for Aristotle, the idea is that when you're born, 
your capacities and skills and so on aren't fully realized. Uh, but as human beings, we have a particular nature and our life goes better, at least in most cases, to the degree that we fulfill that nature. Um, living up, living up to the potential that you were born with. Exactly. The capacity for potential that you were born with. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, so now one thing to note is that this is seeming a little bit different than Dahlia's view. Um, because for Dahlia, he seems to be talking about wanting to go beyond our nature. Uh, right. He's one, we're wanting to change our nature, make it even better. And for Aristotle, presumably our nature is a fixed thing and what it is to live well is to fulfill that fixed nature, um, not to change it or make it different. Um, but of course, no, for Aristotle, we're rational beings. And so the more that we become rational, the better that we are, uh, for him, we're also social beings. So the better we engage with society, with other people, that's, you know, a part of fulfilling our nature. Um, so, so is the, is the distinction here then just to, to sort, sort of try and boil it down to the brass tacks in Aristotle's view of perfectionism versus what Dalio is saying is that Aristotle believes that you're sort of the, the moment you're created, you have a, a maximum potential available to you and to, uh, to fully achieve, to, to gain full achievement. You, you, you fill that out. You do as much as you pot your, your, just everything about you can allow you to do where what Dalio is saying is, I don't know what your top end is. Um, no one really does. There is no top end and that your, your, um, your impact, your, your contribution from an, to yourself and, and evolutionary is just continually finding ways to change yourself for the better, improving yourself. Right. I would take it roughly to be along those lines. Yeah. Okay. I haven't researched this to a large degree or anything. Or I gotten a PhD in it. <laughs> well, I didn't get a PhD in Aristotle's view of transhumanism contra, you know, Dalios. Dalios. Well, you'll be offering that course later this, later this semester at MIT. Absolutely. And Stanford. Not. <laughs> <laughs> we operate the podcast on the value for value model. We are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, you can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Dalio's principles and click support this podcast. There are even more ways to support the show. You can dazzle all of your friends with information learned on the show and share the show with them on social media. Also, you can review us on iTunes. It'd be awesome if you blog about it or even talked about our podcast on your very own podcast. And you can always direct your friends to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Dalio's principles. And now back to the show. Well, what, why does, why does uh, Dalio think this is true? Yes, I think that's again a question we always want to ask ourselves, and you know, not just of Dalio, but you know, when you hear some some view, you know, it might strike you as, oh yeah, that seems right. Um, But you know, again, want to ask yourself, well, what reasons am I being given for thinking this is true? Uh, In particular, right, Dalio is claiming that life or that evolution is our greatest accomplishment, and evolution is our greatest reward. 
So why should we think that's true? Um, it seems like he's given us a couple reasons. Uh, the first one is that we instinctually want to be better. He's going to say, look, you just think about your life. Don't you want to be better at things? I think most people would agree with that, that they instinctually want to be better at things. Okay. So, right. That is a reason. Sure. Um, there's the second reason we'll come back to the first, cause I just want to raise a, an objection to that. Um, so the, so the second um, reason that he seems to give as to why we should think it's true that evolving is life's greatest accomplishment and his greatest reward is that he points out we have created and evolved technology to help us be better, right? We've put all of this effort into something, right? Namely, helping us be better. So it seems like that's something that we see as being a good, right? Um, as being worth achieving. Uh, so you know, back to that first reason that we instinctually want to be better. Um, you know, so one concern I have is it seems like we can have instincts for things which are bad, things which aren't actually good for us. Um, so you might say the mere fact that it's an instinct doesn't prove that it's good for us. Um, so I just have some concerns there. I mean, would you? Can you think of anything, John, where you'd say, you know, instinctually I wanted that, but in the end, it really wasn't good. Sure. I, I think that um, he, you, you've mentioned and, and it helped educate me on things like hedonism, Micah. And just as with anything, too much of any one thing is, is probably bad. And so the, con, you know, the, a lot of people get into trouble because they, they want, they, they chase, they chase what, you know, some people call, they chase the dragon of like, the continued happiness they get from blah, whatever it is. It might be, um, it might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be working. Or your smartphone, right? Being on Twitter all the time. That's right. All the, all of those things. And so I guess the, that, that could be an example of it being bad. That, that instinct to continually pursue that could be bad. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, another thing is, uh, interestingly, so Plato uh, in the Republic, which I've mentioned before, he talks about how he's there's a person in the dialogue of the, the Republic who Plato has say this, but he talks about how we all desire by nature to be better than others, right? You think about the competitive nature of our world or our society, right? Think about how sports is such a big thing, um, right? Think about if you hear that someone else at work got a promotion, right? Maybe before you heard anything about the promotion, you're completely content with where you were and what your job was. And then you hear that someone else got a promotion. And it doesn't even have to be something for a position that you were wanting, right? It could be for a totally unrelated position that you have no desire at all. But the mere fact that they got a promotion and you didn't, you know, ruffles your feathers. Oh, sure. <laughs> so we've yeah. all been there, I'm sure. Yeah. So. Right. And it seems like that's something instinctual about us that mm. we want to do better than others. But is that really a good thing? Um, I see your point. Not all no. of our instincts can, can, can be classified as being good for us. Right. Um, but of course, you know, some are. Uh, so the question, of course, is where does the desire for being better fit in? Um, as, you know, as Ray's talking about it here. Yeah. I, I like to think that if when done in moderation, most of our instincts are probably fine. And I don't 
think that there are any of our instincts. I would think evolutionarily that the instincts that we had that killed us are sort of gone. We're left with the things that have um, furthered us in, in, in just an ev- evolutionary sense. So our, they're probably good mostly. It's just that fact of anything done in excess. And certainly people have a propensity to do that from time to time. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So <laughs> you might say, Ray's talking about this, about evolving, being better, is the greatest accomplishment. So you might say, well, is, are we taking this to an excess? Maybe. Uh, real quickly, just you know, with respect to his second reason that we have created an evolved technology to help us be better. Well, we might say, well, is it really the being better that we wanted? Or was it just the benefits of better technology that we wanted? Right? The washing machine. Yeah, that makes my life better in a lot of ways because I don't have to spend a bunch of time, you know, washing clothes by hand. Um, and so it's really just the ease of life that we care so much about technology and it's not really the bettering ourselves. Um, right. So that's an objection you might raise. I think that's one way to think about it, but I also think there's a, there's another way to think about it, which is that it has, it frees, it frees your hands from the the time required to wash your clothing or wash your dishes and allows you to use that time pro- productively somewhere else. Uh, and, and so that's a, an evolutionary benefit because it gives you time to, to do things that you wouldn't have had time to do before. It's not just that you get leisure from it necessarily. It could be that you get leisure from it, but it could also be that you, you can do experiments and create electricity or new things in that, that regard. Right. In that uh, way. Yeah. And it's just a question of, well, is the technological improvement itself good for you or is it just the benefits that come with the technological improvement? I see those benefits. Okay. Yeah. So now I've been a little harsh on Dahlia here, I think, um, you know, saying, Hey, what are his reasons for thinking this is true? And then I've given some objections to those. Uh, but I do think, you know, it's just, I think it's rather difficult for anything that you say is ultimately, I'm going to say an intrinsic good, right? Something that's good in and of itself, right? As opposed to an instrumental good, something that's good as a means to something else, right? He's saying that evolution is some kind of intrinsic good. Um, I think it's going to be pretty difficult to give an argument for or give reasons for some intrinsic good being a good, right? So for example, I would say, I think, relationships are a good. Now, how can I show that, right? How can I give an argument in defense of relationships being good, intrinsically good? Um, now, if, if I was just claiming it was an instrumental good, like, hey, relationships are instrum- instrumentally good because people feel happier, right? When they have good relationships. Yeah, that's an argument I could give, but that's only showing that relationships are instrumentally good. And the question is, are relationships intrinsically good? I think they are, but I don't know what kind of argument I can give for that. It's hard to offer a proof. Right. So, you know, I just want to be careful that I'm not demanding too much of Dalio here saying, hey, you must give me some argument, Um, but I still want to raise some objections. Micah, the next interesting thing that goes along with uh, the particular principle that we're talking about here is 
a statement that Dalio makes that essentially boils down to your motivations, your incentives uh, to, to act and to behave in a certain way should be and need to be aligned with the goals of a group. Uh, I think that's sort of hard to understand, but it, it seems like the sort of thing where it's like you, you, you shouldn't just solely evaluate decisions that you're going to make based on what outcome you will achieve as an individual. More broadly, you need to consider, to consider others and try to take the, that consideration of others into account as you're making a decision so that, because it would be great for me if I took all your money, but it wouldn't be really great for you. Right. I should, you should have some money, I think probably. Might be a good thing. I, <laughs> I'd like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the question is what is Ray saying here? Is he saying that as an individual, you should take into account the group's goals or is this almost from, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to call it an administrative perspective or an organizer's perspective saying that, look, if you want to make the group as a whole successful, if you want to help them, right, for Ray, Ray talking about here's help them evolve, you need to set things up such that people's incentives, right, their individual self-interest is aligned with the group's goals. So you should architect it that way. Yeah. Huh. I and, think that would be really hard really hard to do in in a practical circumstance. I mean, you, you depending on how much you you controlled of the situation seems to be an ambiguity here and it's probably cuz I'm overthinking it, but um there seems to be an ambiguity as to whether this is advice you might say for how an individual should make their decisions and you know s- saying that well they should just make sure that when they pursue their self-interest that's also aligned with the group's goals. Um, and I guess why that seems problematic to some degree is that when he talks about, you know, he gives the example of sex, right? He says, Hey, sex is really pleasurable, but isn't it amazing that the way nature has constructed things is that the individual's pursuit of that pleasure results in right. Procreation results in the existence of new human beings or new other animals. Um, and he's saying the idea seems to be the person who's pursuing sex is doing so just for the sake of pleasure. They're not thinking about what other good is going to result, right? That other beings are going to come into existence. Now, yes, obviously humans do think about, oh, yeah, we'd like to have a baby or something. Um, but that's certainly not the only reason that humans pursue sex, right? Um, there was a, ostensibly there was some sort of uh, design to it, whether it be an evolutionary design where it was like, okay, this evolutionarily, this worked out because they did that a whole lot and they, they, they prospered. Right. And so, you know, it's just, for me, it's, you know, in that situation, right. The idea is the individuals are just, they're just pursuing their own goals. They're pursuing their own self-interest and nature has from the outside, you might say, set it up such that when they pursue their self-interest, um, the group's goals are achieved. Um, and so then it seems like, well, if we're trying to use this as some kind of basis for our own actions, our own personal decisions, it seems like, well, do I just pursue my own self-interest? I don't need to worry about the rest of the group's goals because nature has presumably set things up such that when I pursue my self-interest, group's goals are going to be achieved. I might say naturally. Um, 
So that's why I'm wondering, is this advice for the individual level of action or is this more of, hey, when you're setting up a company, let's say, right? Which, I mean, this seems to make sense, right? If you do have the ability to set it up such that when people pursue their self-interest, that improves the group group's goals or helps the group achieve their goals better. Seems like that would be a good way to do things. But of course, it just raises the question, do I need to consider the interest of the group when I'm making my decisions? I, I don't know is, is my answer. And, and it, I find it sort of odd, I guess, Micah, that this, that this particular statement pops up in this location in the, with this principle of evolving his life's greatest accomplishment and its greatest reward, because I'm not, I'm not sure that I see in, in a practical sense that I see the relevance to the principle, this statement to the principle. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm not Dalio, so I don't know what inside his, his mental model for how, how this works, how this is laid out. I just don't find that it is, is correlated strongly to the operating operating and using the principle overall. Right. Yeah. What is this? You might say, yeah, have to do with the fact that evolving is life's greatest accomplishment and its greatest reward. Yeah. I I just don't know what what it is in service of and towards that end, but what, so maybe we just move on and talk, talk more about the, the last bit of this, which I found really intriguing is, and, and I mentioned it earlier in the episode was I talked about how, how difficult it is to come to grips with this belief that I am incredibly important to, to me and myself, definitely. Uh Uh, But also I am, I am just a dust in the wind and I am just dust in the wind. I'm, I'm very, very minimally important to humanity, even current day humanity and even less relevant to uh, humanity from a, a a sequence of over time and and future humanity. So that's a lot to unwrap, I think, from a philosophical perspective. Because that, I mean, it, it's a very dualist uh, approach to thinking about ourselves, right? Yeah. So first off, thank you for the uh, reference to Kansas. Uh huh. I knew you would like that. I knew <laughs> I knew you would like Dust in the Wind as a reference to Kansas. Ah uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Carry on my wayward son. Exactly. Uh, so there's a band named Kansas in case you were wondering. And yes, I'm from Kansas. I mentioned that all the time. Well, yes, but not on this podcast several episodes ago. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you talk about uh, what was this dual perspective? Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he talks about from our individual perspective, we think our life matters um, and that, you know, it's important that it's good. And you know, as you know, you mentioned, he also says, but from nature's perspective, it seems like we're nothing. And um, so, you know, this raises questions for me. On the one hand, it seems like Ray has just kind of left us with this contradiction, right? So, when we think about, okay, does John's life matter? Yeah, yeah. So can he can has. we just decide whether your life matters today? That'll be the uh, like goal of the rest of this podcast. Does John's life matter? I would, I would, I would view it honestly. This is entirely honestly. This is not me kidding around. I would say that from from the broader scale of things, no, not not in, not not barely in the slightest. Okay, I could agree with that. Not really, actually. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Well, so he's, he's talking about two perspectives, right? From the individual perspective and the um, the 
perspective of nature or um, the view from the world, as some people would call it. Uh, so on the one hand, it sounds like a contradiction. Yeah, it really does. John's life matters and John's life doesn't matter. Um, so I think there's a couple ways we could maybe try and resolve this cons- inconsistency or this contradiction. One is we could say, well, one of these perspectives is just false um, or has something wrong about it. Um, so, for example, you know, because this idea of perspective, you know, we think of, you know, like crime shows, right? And you have two people who have different perspectives. And oh, they yeah. saw, well, you know, I saw this person, you know, uh, used his right hand, you know, to kill the person with his knife. And someone else said, well, no, from my perspective, you know, he used his left hand. And, you know, one of those perspectives is just wrong. Um, so is that something that we can do here? Right. That, that would resolve the inconsistency of the contradiction and just say, well, turns out, you know, John's perspective that his life matters is just false. Right. Um, he's looking at things incorrectly. Uh, another possibility is to say, well, nature's perspective is wrong. And so first thing, I guess one thing I want to point out is when we talk about nature's perspective, that's, you know, we're using perspective here, obviously in some kind of metaphoric sense. It's not like nature has eyes or has thoughts. Nature doesn't view things in a particular way. Um, and so I think typically when we say nature from nature's perspective or from the world's perspective, a lot of times what we mean is like objectively speaking, you know, what's actually the case. And if, if that's what we mean, and if it's true that John's life doesn't matter in an objective sense, we could just say, well, John thinks he matters, but he doesn't really. Um, I was thinking of this really from that, that, that situation of dual duality where, where two things are, are true at the same time, even though they're in conflict with each other, Okay, that both of these are true. It, it really just maybe comes Uh back to the perspective. Yeah. I guess I'm just trying to see how they can both be true. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, right. So just, they are because I say so (laughs) there. So what, you know, one way in which perspective both perspectives could be true um is you could talk about the appearance of things right so um if i'm if i'm looking at something and i say oh wow that looks blue and you look at it and you say oh no that looks red well if you're looking right through rose-colored glasses you're in a different circumstance and so there's something that's affecting your perspective and so on um i mean it could be that way in which two perspectives which see things differently are true um yeah and i think that entirely that has if we just use using me as an example again it's entirely based on your proximity to me and your reliance on me as a uh, as a as a giver of care or a you know breadwinner provider whatever whatever it is like the people that are closest to me my family they they think i'm important because i serve that role but people that listen to this podcast, they might think of I'm less of lesser importance and people who don't know me at all. They came across me. They'd be like, you know, I could step on him like a, I'd step on an, uh, an ant or a spider. It'd be like, I don't, I don't care. Other than maybe the moral ob- objections to it, they wouldn't have any reason to hold me in any sort of uh, esteem or consider me important in any way. Okay. Um, and those are all true at the same time. Yeah, so here right we could be talking about how much do you care about John, which 
we might say, is that a different question than how much does John matter? Um, so certainly it could be true that, you know, one person cares about John immensely, right? Your family or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then someone who on the street you've never met before that you're just walking past them and they're like, eh, he doesn't matter to me all that much. Right. But that's, but that's one question, right? Of how much does that matter to that person? But then there's also this question of, well, how valuable is your life, right? How valuable are you? Um, and not necessarily in a, how much can you produce kind of thing? Um, and, and so there's, that's another distinction that seems to be playing here where on the one hand, Ray talks about someone mattering, which is what he starts off with saying, you know, I matter. And, um, from my perspective, it seems like I, my life matters is it's important. And then when he switches over to nature's perspective, he tar- starts talking about your significance. And so, and in significance, he starts talking about things like, um, what kind of difference you're going to make in the world. And so I think what I want to do is tease these two things out and say, well, on the one hand, there's this idea of someone mattering, of being valuable, um, of their life being worth consideration, you might say. And this separate question of their significance insofar as what kind of impact they're going to make on the world. And so I'm going to suggest, I could be wrong about this, that someone's life can have immense value. They can be very important. Um, they, you might say, merit to deserve a lot of consideration. Um, it, it is important how their life goes, you might say, even if they don't produce a lot, right? Or even if they don't make a lot of difference to the world. Um, and so I think that's how I want to resolve this contradiction that he's leaving us with. Okay. We have um, two perspectives then. And they're both true. <laughs> <laughs> Your perspective, my perspective. Well, there's a third perspective. There's Dalio's perspective. And it's odd to, it seems odd to me to once again, leave us with this uh, unanswered question or this, this statement that unresolved Mm -hmm. statement of you are both uh, maybe in his mind, Micah, maybe it is resolved. And his resolution is that both things are true simultaneously. I guess that's where, I guess, just from a, a blanket statement perspective, by saying this, he would say, believe that it's true. Right. You're everything and nothing simultaneously. Yeah. And that's where I just can't, you know, get on board with because, right. So if I say, um, something is true, it can't in the same way also be false. Right. So if I say, um, I say I'm cold, I can't, it can't also be simultaneously true. I'm hot. Yes. So I think what I, what I think you're, you're seeing and saying here is that one individual can't hold the same opinion of, of someone to think that they are both everything and nothing simultaneously. One, so I, if my opinion of you can't be both of those things, mm-hmm. I can't think both of those things. And that's true. Mm-hmm. But uh, me thinking, uh, projecting out of the, to the world, what, how am I perceived? Mm-hmm. I can hold in my brain a belief that people, some people think I'm everything. Some people think I'm somewhere in between and some people think I'm nothing mm-hmm. or don't have no thought of me mm-hmm. and that those things are true. But to what you're saying, someone else, their opinion directed at me of me has to be one or the other, and it can't be both simultaneously. So that I agree with. Okay. So to bring in a, 
another scenario here. Um, is there some objective value that you have, right? Or is your value, your importance determined solely by what you think? Um, and yeah, and I'm not sure if this scenario is going to be set up quite right, but I mean, take a racist, right? Who says, you know, people of another race have no value to me. I don't care about them. And right. I'll treat them however I want to. You know, what we want to say to that person is, look, no, that person of the other race, even though they're of another race, they still have value, right? And it's, you know, morally required of you to show them the value that they really have, right? To treat them in a way that's in accordance with their true value. Um, and so, right, we're, we're saying just because someone doesn't matter, right? Even Even though one person doesn't care about the other person that isn't the determinant of that other person's true value um so I, yeah you know, i guess i want to just say there's a value that can exist apart from our a particular person's caring about that person well i i think you just you, you just hit the nail on the head in this case in that it's all about the what side of the camera you're looking at and People's opinion of you doesn't mean squat diddly, not important at all. Um, this is this is all about you thinking about you, and so if someone else thinks I'm nothing, it doesn't matter. That they don't get that they don't get to make that judgment. It's it's what's true from the perspective from my perspective, and project it out to the world. I I can can both exist to be very. Very, uh, very important and consequential to people, and also, you know, be everything and nothing. I'll disagree. Yeah, <laughs> good. We've we've had quite a bit uh, of back and forth on this, so uh, I guess we'll have to leave it to everyone to decide for themselves. Once again, that's sort of a key part of the principles themselves. We were talking about this a little bit off mics, but that's. You know, these aren't necessarily all immutable truths. There are things that people have to evaluate from themselves and decide how to use them and uh, and what they mean to them. We're just trying to help translate them and through our brains. Right. And of course, I have to also add, like I told my students, I think I've mentioned this before, even though you have to decide what you think, what you think doesn't necessarily make it true, right? You have to wrestle with it and you may come to the wrong conclusion. Perhaps right? I could come to the wrong conclusion. Well, maybe uh, in our next episode, we'll come to some right conclusions and some wrong conclusions. Join us back here again for uh, the next episode when we talk about principle 1.6. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals. 